All right, I hope you guys are excited. I'm excited for this word this morning. Thank you, Lynette. <laughs> All right, let's pray, and then let's get into it. Father, thank you just for your word. Thank you that your word is truthful. Thank you that your word is there to correct us and guide us and lead us. And so I pray, Father God, that your Holy Spirit would be upon us. Uh, remind Ray of the words that you want him to share. And um, may it just be um, glory to your almighty name. Amen. 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 Another word, <laughs> it's unusual. <laughs> Good morning, everyone. Hope you are doing well. Um, just want to thank the worship team this morning for leading us so beautifully. Um, just an incredible sense of the, of the presence of God this morning. So if you missed it, come earlier. <laughs> All right. uh, if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Mark chapter 1 so long, but then also put your finger in Luke chapter 5. Um, you can put the first slide up, please, Nikki. I do have slides this morning. I apologize that... Um, Somehow PowerPoint didn't communicate very well, and so the graphics I had aren't the same as the graphics that are there, but it'll work. Um, and if it's small, I apologize. Um, I don't know if you guys had any childhood heroes growing up. Um, I was a big fan of two men in my life. One was Peter Gooch, and another one was Brett, and I cannot remember his surname. Peter Gooch was like the all-round alpha jock that everyone wanted to be and everyone wanted to be around. Um, he was a musician, he was a worship leader, he was a youth leader, he was a head boy at school, he was academically gifted, physically gifted in sport. He's just, and just a genuine, nice man. Like, everyone wanted to be his friend, everyone wanted to hang out with him, and he was probably about, I think he's about six or seven years older than me, and as a young kid, Looking up to this guy who used to lead worship and preach at uh, uh, youth camps that we used to have, I was just like, oh, man, I want to be like this guy. This is, he's like the man. Like, we, <laughs> yeah, everyone wanted to be like Peter Gooch. And then there was another guy named Brett. So I was, I can keep it on the first one for now, Nikki. Um, so Brett was a South African swimmer. He started swimming for the South African team, I think he was when he was 16. And I was an avid swimmer when I met him. And he went to the Commonwealth Games. He was just incredible, but also just one of those guys that just genuine, nice, godly, and just showed interest in people around him. He showed love to people around him. Those are the two people I looked up to. And that, that's what every moment I got to be around them, I would take it. And I'd try and soak up everything that they would say. And obviously, as a kid, sometimes the people you look up to disappoint you. And things happened in their lives that I only found out about later that really broke me. And I was just like, but God, but they were, they were my heroes. How can they be human? It's, they're not allowed to make mistakes. I look up to them. But in that, as a young child, going through those emotions of being like, ah, oh, man, they, like these people are quite normal. Um, one is my mom, just with the incredible wisdom of God, just came in and be like, you know what, man will always be human. So we look to Jesus. He is the hero and the author and the finisher of our faith. That's where we keep our eyes. And so there's nothing wrong with looking up to people, but we don't put our hope in them. We don't put our faith in them. We put our hope and our faith in Christ. And that's where I want to start off with this morning. And I'm going to be talking about the disciples or discipleship. And this came through this week. I think 
in with what we've been looking at through the seven churches of Revelation, in what Devon spoke about, where there's just this invitation into the call of what God is doing with us, into relationship with Him, and getting rid of distractions. Okay, or what's the next step? What is this thing that we do next? And so, I'm going to start from Mark chapter 1. It's not up there, but we can read it if you've got it. And it says, Passing along the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on a little further, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were on their boat mending nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat, who hired servants and followed him. Then we're going to jump through to Luke chapter 5. Basically the same story, just a little bit more information. Uh, Luke was obviously a lot more descriptive in what he had to say. And he says, On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gethsemane, that one, and he, said, and he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing the nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked to put out a little from the land, and he sat down and taught the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking to Simon, sorry, have I got the right? Yes, I do. Put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and we took nothing. But at your word, we let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish, and the nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners on the boat and came to them. And they came and filled the boat, so they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. And he and all with him were astonished at the catch they had taken. And so also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners of Simon. And Jesus said, Do not be afraid, for this is how you will go on catching men. And when they brought their boats to the land, they left everything and followed him. And so we've got the story where Jesus meets his men and he says, follow me. Simple invitation, follow me. And so we start off, you can go to the next slide. It says, what is a disciple? According to Vine's concise dictionary of the Bible, disciple refers to a learner who accepts not only the views of the teacher, but the one who attempts to put them into practice. The dictionary says a disciple is a personal follower of Christ, a follower or a pupil of a teacher or a leader. If we want to go into the original Greek, I've been through this with Nicholas already, <laughs> there are four words that we find that, ex- that explain the word, this word disciple and various areas that it's used in the Bible. The first one uh, means to follow me. And this is referenced in Matthew 9, 9, Matthew 19, 21, Mark 1, 17, and John 1, 43, where it conve- conveys a message of a rabbi-pupil relationship. And so it's this thing of follow me. As a, as a teacher, follow me. As a student, follow me. The second one is one who binds himself to someone in order to acquire his practical and theoretical knowledge. This we would know as an apprentice. And this is referenced in Mark 16, 16, John 6, verse 67, and 264 other times. So this is the most commonly used one. And this conveys, conveys a message deeper than just a relationship, but it's also a call to intimacy. 
When you become an apprentice of someone, you get to know them as well. There's a relationship that develops. So it's not just about following, but it's about knowing the person as well. Understanding why they do things, how they do things, and all the reasons behind those things. The next one is to imitate. And this is referenced in 1 Corinthians 4.16, Philippians 3, and Ephesians 5. And this conveys the message of to imitate someone. And so this is, often, this is not used within the four Gospels, but this is used later on by Paul as he writes letters to different churches. And the last one is to follow someone or to go behind someone. And this is referenced in Mark 1 verse 17. And this conveys a meaning of active obedience, to forsake your past comforts and ties and a call to an active movement. And so just to quickly go through, the one is a relationship between the pupil and the rabbi. The second one is about um, imitating and for, uh, the rabbi or the teacher. The other one is about intimacy. And then the last one is about an active obedience. And this, these are different words that are used for the word disciple. And so what was the big deal with disciples? Why did Jesus need them? And why does he call us to be his disciples today? Well, to give you a little bit of perspective, I think you can go to the next one. Yep. Jesus was a Jewish man who lived in a Jewish time in a Jewish nation. And so a lot of what he did was in line with Jewish culture. You see, at the time, there was this process that children went through as they grew up and went into adulthood. And the first thing that would happen at the, at the, at the age of six the children would learn what is called the Torah. And the Torah are the first five books of the Old Testament. So Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And this was the center of Jewish culture. The children would literally memorize it all. If you said, what does number 627 say? They would be able to tell you like this. Um, so they would memorize it. And a majority of children after this process would then go on to learn the family traits. So if, if the father was a carpenter, they were going to carpentry. If they were fishermen, they were going to fish, uh, become fishermen themselves. Um, if they were really good, and they were good at memorizing the Hebrew scriptures, they would then go on to learn the rest of them, from Genesis all the way to Malachi. And this would happen at, until the age of about 14 or 15 years old. After this, if you were really good, like if you were like, 98% above kind of student that had gone through this process, you would then apply to a rabbi to follow them and to learn more, to become their disciple or a scholar of that rabbi. They would do this not only, not only to learn what the rabbi knew, but to be like the rabbi. The way they would learn how to think like he thought, to speak like he spoke, and to reason like he reasoned. To be accepted by a rabbi, the students would be tested according to that rabbi's set of beliefs or understanding of the scriptures. And this was known as their yoke. And so when Jesus says to us, take my yoke upon you, he's not just saying, the law is done with. The old has passed away. I'm giving you something new. It's easy and it's light. And so once they were chosen by a rabbi, the disciples would then take this yoke of the rabbi to know what the rabbi knew and in order to do what he does, and in order to be like him. And so this thing where they would say, I accept what you are teaching me, and I'm going to live it, I'm going to speak it, I'm going to do it. It's very important. And so when Jesus calls his disciples, it's a little bit of a scandalous affair. 
Because for one is, they were all found doing their trade. None of them were learned scholars of the Torah and the rest of the Old Testament. They had gone into family trades, which means that they weren't actually good enough to be able to follow a rabbi. And so when Jesus calls them, he's saying, you aren't considered the best, but I'm asking you to follow me. And I think this is so important because so often we think, oh, I'm not worthy. I'm not good enough. Why me? I haven't studied theology. I haven't done. No, he says, he calls all of us. He says, follow me. Each and every single person is worthy of the call of Jesus. Each and every single person has been called to follow Jesus. And the way to him is this easy yoke of through Jesus. Through Jesus. It's through Jesus who sent his one and only son to die for us. That whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And when we accept him, we say, I will be your disciple. And that yoke is basically carried for us because Jesus took it on the cross. All our sin, our shame, our guilt, our suffering. When he died on the cross, he took all those things. And when he rose from the dead, he said, our righteousness has made you righteous. Because of this, you're worthy. It is easy and it's light. Follow me. And it's up to all of us to be like, you know, God, I will do this. But what does that look like? In John 14, I go back. In John 14, 12, it says, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. And greater works than these he will do because I am going to the Father. And so we're saying about miracles and we spoke about all these things, saying about these things this morning. These things are for us today. As we looked at two weeks ago in Acts chapter 2, it says, Signs and wonders followed. And so as we press in, as we pray, as we learn and as we get taught and as we meet together and we come together and praise God, signs and wonders will follow. And this is what we hold fast to. And so what Jesus is saying to the disciples when he calls them is, you can be like me. You can think like I think. You can speak like I speak. You can do like I do. And that might be like, oh, but whatever. No, Jesus says greater things we will be able to do. Not in our own strength, but through him, because of what he has done for us. So just briefly, is there anyone that can name all 12 disciples? Go. <laughs> no, I'm just teasing. I want to make you do that. Just I want to quickly recap. Um, there were 12 disciples. There was John, who was the brother of James. He wrote John, the, cha- the Gospel of John, 1 to 3 John, and he wrote Re- Revelation, as we heard. Um, he was punished. He was put on the island of Patmos, where he eventually passed away. But he was the only disciple that died of a natural death. Yes, he was persecuted. Yes, he had been boiled alive, but he also died of a natural death at an old age. Then we have James, who was the brother of John. He was martyred by a sword. We have Andrew, the brother of Simon Peter. He was beaten and hung on a cross for two days while preaching as he hung. Simon Peter was the brother of Andrew. It's believed that he was married. He's the one that walked on water, and he was crucified upside down as not to die in the same way that Jesus did. Uh, Then we have Philip, who evangelized into Asia. He was crucified. Bartholomew, he preached into Asia as well. Um, They're not sure, but he was either crucified or beheaded. Thomas, who was the doubting Thomas, ministered into Greece and into India and was killed by a spear. Matthew was a tax collector. He was killed by swordsmen in Ethiopia. James, the lesser, 
<laughs> he was elected head of the churches in Jerusalem, and he was stoned by the Jews. Today, as the brother of James the Lesser and Simon the Zealot was crucified, Simon the Zealot was also crucified. Judas Iscariot was a known thief, yet was still put in charge of the group's money bag, and unfortunately, he betrayed Jesus and committed suicide. And so that's who the disciples were. They were ordinary men, like you and me, working a normal life, like you and me. And Jesus called them. He said, follow me. In 1 Corinthians 1, verse 26 to 29, it says, For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish to the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that as it is written, let no one boast, let the one who boasts boast in the Lord. And so there's a thing of... Jesus choosing what is ordinary that went against the culture of that time and it didn't make sense to a lot of people. Like, why would you call these guys that haven't become learned scholars of the whole of the Old Testament? Why would you choose these ordinary men that weren't of noble birth? They weren't seen as super special. They were just ordinary men. But God says, I've done these things to show the world a different way that is accessible for each and every single person. See, Jesus chose guys that were not considered the best or the cream of the crop. And why did he do this? He did this because it was considered foolish. He literally flipped the selection process on its head. Where before it was all about your own strength, your own knowledge, and what you knew. This was about who you were and your heart and your intention. God looked so much deeper than the outward appearance, and he looked to the hearts of these men. They were not good enough to even think about going to a rabbi to ask to follow him. They didn't know the scriptures the best way. And they were in the family's trade, so there was nothing that special about them at that time. And yet, these 12 men changed the world. Peter, James, Andrew, and John were fishermen, and Jesus called them fishers of men. These four men initiated the birth of the Christian community. And so if God can take... Four ordinary men in an ordinary time, in an ordinary culture, and use them to change the world where 2,000 years later we are still looking at the scriptures. We are still leaning onto the words that they wrote that were inspired by the Holy Spirit, looking to the one that they celebrated and spread the message about. If they had decided to stop, imagine where we'd be today. But no, God used them in a powerful and mighty way. These ordinary men who didn't think too much of themselves, or maybe, I think it was Luke that called himself the most loved. And so, (laughs) but these ordinary men who didn't think too much of themselves, that just took a message that they had learned to grow and understand and develop in them as they followed Jesus. In John 21, verse 1 to 6, it says, After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, and revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, Nathaniel, the sons of Zebedee, the two other, and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. They said to him, we will go with you. And they went out, got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. 
Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was him. Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? They answered him, no. And he said, cast your net to the right side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast it. And now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish that the, that the disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, it is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment for he was stripped for work and threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came into the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from land, but about a hundred yards off. And what's so beautiful about this is this prophetic statement of what Jesus had called them to do spiritually. Interestingly enough, after Jesus died, what did they do? They went straight back to their trade. But then Jesus comes back and he puts destiny and purpose into their lives. He says, you may be catching fish, might not be catching fish on one side, but if you cast it to the other side, these nets that are so full and so heavy that others are going to have to help you to bring them in. It's just this beautiful prophetic picture of what God is declaring over them into their future. And we see that now today. Okay, I can go next. And so why did Jesus choose disciples? Well, he could have done it all by himself. He could have, but God's not like that. God is about relationship. He's about intimacy. He's about knowing one another. In Mark 3, verse 13 to 19, he says, And he went up on the mountain and called to him those who he desired. And they came to him. And he appointed the twelve, who were also named apostles, so they might be with him, and he might send out to preach. And having authority to cast out demons, he appointed the twelve. And they went with him. Sorry. And then he went home, and the crowd gathered again, so that he could not even eat. And it just goes on to list the twelve disciples. And so the story of the gospel is about relationship between God and man. If Jesus had tried to come and do this by himself, he would have gone against the very thing that the Trinity is, where it's about relationship and fellowship with one another. Jesus could easily have revealed himself to the world without them, but this would not have led to relationship out of love for him, but relationship out of fear. Can you imagine if Jesus came and said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, but no one was following him. He just declared it. If he just spoke about the things that were to come, that would have put a lot of fear in people's hearts. But because he showed love and relationship for those closest to him, it showed that this was a way that we could walk with him in love, not out of fear. Through relationship with his disciples, he revealed the heart of God. Through this, re- through this relationship with the disciples, he taught them about God. But more than that, he showed them what a life lived in relationship with God and the Holy Spirit looked like. And so Jesus didn't come to tell us how to live. He modeled it for us as well. This relationship with God and the Holy Spirit. (coughs) And so through this relationship with the disciples, like the rabbi would walk with his disciples... The disciples would become someone that not only accepts the doctrine or the teaching of a teacher, but also attempts to put that into practice. By observing how Jesus lived, the miracles, love, and relationship with God, Jesus also showed the disciples how to teach, how to heal, how to cast out demons. He also showed them how to disciple others. And through doing this, he was able to give us the great commission of Matthew 28, 18. And this is what Jesus spent his time preparing his disciples for. He says, go out and make disciples. 
See, this is an active instruction. Jesus didn't just tell them, but through his time with them, he showed them, this is how you make disciples, through relationship, through conversation, through discussion. It's an active instruction. It's not a passive thing. This is nothing that we can just do by accident. This is, a pass- uh, this is an active process. The statement involves, actually, it demands an active response to imitate what Jesus showed us and his disciples, and to apply that to our lives. And so when Jesus says, go and make disciples, he didn't just tell us, he showed us how to do it. And so it's quite a, a, it's a model that we can take. He goes on to say, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And this is an instruction not only to tell people how to live, but to show them how to live, so that their lives can be a physical manifestation of being Christ-like. Jesus never once told his disciples to convert people. That's quite a big statement. He never once, you can read the whole of the Gospels, never once said, go and convert people. He said, go make disciples. There's a huge distinction between being a convert and being a disciple. I think the biggest thing we can take away, we can look at when we look at the 12 disciples is that Jesus had 12 men that walked closely with him, lived with him, ate with him, walked with him, saw signs, miracles, and wonders, and all these things. Yet there was Judas. Does it mean that Jesus failed? Not at all. Uh, Lost my notes. Very excited about this one. (laughs) And so we just have to look at Judas, Judas, who walked with such proximity to Jesus But in the end, he never allowed the presence and the ministry of Jesus to change his life. It's not about Jesus failing. Jesus did everything he came to do. He came to show us how to make disciples. He came to show us what it is to walk in love and kindness and mercy and grace to those around us. He showed showed us what it's like to love so much that you would lay your own life down. But if we don't allow that to change our lives, that's on us. That speaks about our heart and our mind attitude. And so what is the difference between a convert and a disciple? Well, firstly, converts are believers who live like the world. We looked at this two weeks ago, but the definition of a lukewarm Christian is someone who's a Bible-believing person, but that's, how, that's where it stays. It never manifests into the way of life, into changing their lives, into a spiritual growth and maturity that happens. Whereas disciples are people who live like Jesus. Converts are focused on their values, on interests, worries, fears, priorities, and lifestyles, where disciples are focused on Jesus. Converts go to church. Disciples are the church a very big distinction. This building is not the church. These chairs and the table and the this does not make a church. We are the church. Everywhere we go, we take the kingdom of God. We take the church. And so we can have church in homes. We can have church in coffee shops. We can have church under a tree. Where we meet is not important, but we need to understand that we are the church. We do not come here on a Friday morning to make ourselves feel good for the next six days and then come back. No, what we do, this is just a launch pad into the next six days where we carry the kingdom of God with us. Converts are involved in the mission of Jesus 
whereas disciples are committed to it. So converts might tithe, converts might go do a soup kitchen every now and again, converts might do this or whatever, but disciples dedicate their lives to the kingdom of God and to showing the world what it is to live like Jesus. Converts cheer from the sidelines, disciples are in the game. Converts hear the word of God, disciples live it. I think one of the big takeaways for me from the seven churches of Revelation is that it ends off every time with, he who has an ear to hear, let him hear. I think it's so important. We can, I've, if you've got children, you will know this. If you're a man, you'll know this too. You can hear your wife speak, but do you really listen to your wife speak? <laughs> children often hear what you say, but they don't always listen to what you say. There is that slight distinction between the two. And so sometimes information goes in, I've got ADHD, it goes in, sometimes it bounces around, it just goes straight out again. I look at Lynette's back, I have no idea what you just said. Sometimes it happens, but as disciples, we really take it in, we listen, and we act on it. We don't just hear it, but we're allowed to change our lives, we meditate on it, and we're allowed to come through our lives, and then we live it. Converts follow the rules. Disciples follow Jesus. Converts are all about believing. Disciples are all about being. Converts are comfortable. Disciples make sacrifices. I think this is a big one for me. I, I lived a lot of my life in my early 20s just trying to be content in all things, comfortable in all things. And when God started to put more demands on our lives, we're like, nah, I don't want to be doing that. That's uncomfortable. It makes me uncomfortable. But nowhere did Jesus promise us a comfortable life. Stepping out to talk to your colleague about Jesus is not comfortable. Stepping out to ask someone to pray for them in public is not comfortable. But it's a process of growing and maturity. And as the Holy Spirit empowers us and gives us courage and boldness, we can do those things. Converts talk. Disciples make more disciples. And this is very important because I think oftentimes we don't see ourselves as, this, when we are disciples, we don't see ourselves as leaders. And one of the quotes that I love, um, Craig Rochelle says, it says, a leader is someone that just does something that someone else doesn't want to do. It's that simple. So as a disciple, when we start to make disciples, we are leaders. We are taking leadership. Every single one of us has been called to make more disciples, which means all of us are leaders, which means that we are have that authority because God has given us to us. He says, all authority in heaven and earth I give unto you. Go and make disciples. And so we have that authority to go and make disciples, to lead other people. Oftentimes we think only Christians can be disciples. I'm telling you now, you can disciple people before they come to know Jesus. By speaking kingdom truths and principles, by showing love and kindness, you can disciple other people even if they don't believe in God yet. Often with my clients, I love it. People pay me to torture them for three hours a week. And when someone's sweating and tired and their muscles are tired, it's amazing. As soon as this gets tired, this just comes out. And people speak freely, open up about their marriage and the finances and things they're going through. And it's beautiful because I don't get to tell them what to do, but I get to tell them what Jesus would do. And I don't have to quote the scriptures. I don't have to say, this is what the Bible says. I can just be like, hey, have you tried this? 
Um, one testimony I can give, it's not about me, so it's okay. This man had troubles with his wife, was getting a bit frustrated. He was in his early 40s. He felt like he was going through midlife crisis. And he said to me, like, what do I do? Do I get that motorbike, travel the world, leave my wife? I said, well, have you tried loving your wife? Something so simple. And he's just like, well, I never actually thought of that. <laughs> it sounds so simple. It, but in his culture and in what he believed, it was never really a thing of maybe I should just try love. All the advice he'd be given was go travel for six months, get a girlfriend, have a motorbike. But I was able to just say, just, have you, just love her. Because he was frustrated. And I said, just love her. Just show her love and kindness. And it's amazing because he did that. And a few months later, all those feelings of frustration that he had within himself about where he was dissipated because he realized that he actually wasn't showing love towards his wife. And that's really beautiful. And I didn't have to say, this is what the Bible says. I didn't have to say, this is what the scriptures say. All I had to ask him was, just love your wife. And we can all do that with our colleagues, with our friends. In these situations, we don't have to quote the Bible, but we can say, hey, have you tried this? Maybe look at it from this angle, this perspective. You see, a disciple is someone who wholeheartedly follows the life and example of Jesus, who makes his mission their mission, who makes his value their values, and makes his heart their heart. There's a song that we sing that says, Break my heart for what breaks yours, everything I have for your kingdom's cause. I think that's such a beautiful prayer that we can pray. God, would you break my heart for the things that break yours? Would I be able to lay down my life for your kingdom's cause, for the things that you're calling us into, so that this world might know you? See, a disciple is someone that desperately seeks to be like Jesus. It is someone who's committed to the cause of Christ, that they will follow him through the gates of hell and back. A disciple is someone who finds their entire identity, purpose, and meaning in Jesus. In a world that cries for identity and sexuality in the things that you do in your job and your status, God says, no, your identity is in me as a son of God, as a daughter of the king. Disciples are all in. They are fully committed. Not only is a disciple willing to die for Jesus, but they are dedicated to living every day of their life for him. And the challenge is this. Disciples make more disciples. Who are you discipling? Who are you walking with? Who are you leading? See, Christianity isn't just a belief. It is a life that is ordained by God. It is transformed by Jesus, and it is walked out with the Holy Spirit. I'll say that again. Christianity isn't just a belief, but a life that is ordained by God. Knowing that we are called, we are transformed by Jesus as we walk in obedience to him. And it is a life that is walked out with the Holy Spirit. We cannot do this without him. See, Jesus modeled out discipleship to disciples and then commissioned them to go and make more disciples. They modeled out what they had seen. They made more disciples and so this has continued until today. We wouldn't be here if each person didn't keep making more disciples, didn't teach them and command them to do the things that Jesus had taught them, if they hadn't baptized them and gone into the different nations around the world. We are still called today to make disciples. This call has not ended. If you want to know what the purpose of your life is, it's to make more disciples. 
is not to convert people, but to make more disciples. Your job is not your purpose. Making money is not your purpose. Having a comfortable retirement is not your purpose. Your purpose is to make more disciples. But to do this, we have to first become disciples of Jesus. We need to become people who are wholeheartedly devoted to him, to his life, and the example that he left for us. This challenged me this week as I was going through my notes. Is his mission my mission? Am I really here to make disciples? Am I really here to teach people what I know because of what I've been taught through him? Are his values my values? Is his heart really my heart? And we will never get this 100% perfect every day, all the time. But it's a challenge. And this thing, as we dig into the presence of God, these things start to change in our lives, where his mission becomes our mission, where we begin to value the things that he values, where our heart starts to beat to the rhythm of his heart. And so to do this, we need to seek him in spirit and in truth. In a world that is trying to grab our identity, we need to find our identity and our purpose and our meaning in him and him alone. We have to be secure in knowing who we are as his children. And then lastly, we need to actively pursue the heart of Jesus so that we can learn it and show it to the world. And this is our part. We need to seek him first. It says seek him first. Devin spoke about this last week. Seek him first. Above everything else, actively pursue him. You cannot do it passively. You've got to actively pursue him and seek him. As you seek him, he will reveal to you what your identity is in him. And this is so important because without Jesus, you will not find your identity. You will not find security. You will not find purpose. You will not find meaning. If you try and find your identity and purpose and meaning in the things of this world, it's literally going to change from one week to the next, from one season to the next. As one fashion fad comes in and the next one goes, that will change. But we've got, if we keep our feet on Jesus, keep our eyes on him, that identity and purpose and meaning will be solid and like a firm foundation. And then we need to actively pursue his heart so that we can learn it and show it to the world. And so the title of my message, you can close the overheads, um, was Follow Me. And I, it was just this beautiful story I heard a, f- a few years ago. So when a student would follow a rabbi, and the rabbi would accept him, they would follow him everywhere. And the saying of the time is that you would collect the dust of your rabbi on your clothing. Because if you're walking behind him, kick up the dirt, and that would then come onto you. And so... My challenge to you this morning is, will the dust of Jesus be found on your robes, on your feet, as you follow him, as you walk through the dirt, as you go where he goes, where he sends you? I said this a few months ago, that the very people we often try to keep our children away from are the very people that Jesus went and spent time with. And so, are we getting dirty? Are we allowing the dust of our Savior to come onto our robes as we follow him? And to do that, it's not walking 20 meters behind, it's walking closely behind him as he leads us and he guides us. Can I pray? Father, I just want to thank you for 
this incredible opportunity to look at your word, to look at this call of follow me and what that means, Father. Father, I pray, Lord, that as we take up this call to follow you, that it would not just be following you as a teacher, not just following you in relationship, but following you in intimacy to imitate you and to make disciples, Father. I pray, Lord, for each and every person as we go into this week, would you, Holy Spirit, lead us, would you guide us, would you reveal the things that are on your heart to us as we seek you. Father, I pray as we go into our workplaces, would you give us the courage and the boldness to speak and to show love. Father God, to make disciples where we are. As some of us home executives, Father God, would you show us how to love and disciple our children? For the teachers, I pray, would you show them how to love and disciple the kids around them as they go into this new school year? And Father, I pray, Lord, that you would just continue to reveal your heart to us as we seek you and seek your kingdom, Father. We bless you and give you all the honor and glory. In Jesus' name, amen.